You gotta learn how, oh. you gotta know how to read the room. Carried a textbook. Like that's, that's what you picture is the most extreme. The thing that you'll never see is someone kind of, I guess, using that as a crutch for the whole, the whole field of service. My goodness. So no, that's a lovely answer. Um, I can't help but wonder like how far do some people get? And to your point, people always have the heart when they enter this field. I noticed quickly that anybody at the beginning of the human services program that I, um, uh, that I was in, if they didn't have the heart for it or they're just, it wasn't there, they were out. Right. So people tend to filter themselves out of the field, but then Mm -hmm. there are those like the, the, the person that you mentioned that do get all the way to the end and they still carry that textbook like they did to their classes. Like how, if people can't filter themselves out and we're not here to say like, you don't have the heart enough to do this. You shouldn't be in this field. How do we work together (laughs) apart from sitting around like and doing retreats all the time to getting getting to know each other? Like, I guess, is it really part of our role and our responsibility to inspire these aha moments for those that we work next to, not just those we serve, but those we work next to, or do we just kind of have to focus on our priorities and responsibilities and be there for those who might be perceived as quote unquote unwoke, right? Still asleep. These days, it's a hard question. It's a hard question. I, that's a hard question. Cause I, I come up against it in a lot of situations, personally, professionally, um, personal, professional, my, my DJ job <laughs> in between. It's all above. It's, I guess it's depends on the situation, but, uh, do I think that is my driving force telling me that it's my responsibility to call people out when they're saying something they shouldn't, that I don't think they should stay, say, I guess it depends. I mean, if someone's being transphobic or someone is racist or someone is saying something untoward about other people, hell yeah, I speak up every single time. Absolutely. 100%. I don't let that slide ever. I don't, I don't care who's in the room. I, I will call people out on it. I'll do it professional. I'll be polite, but I absolutely, yes, every single time. When people are just misfiring because they just don't get it, the textbook under the arm, I will offer assistance without insulting people, (laughs) but there's only so much you can do. I don't think that we should just go through our lives, our professional lives, so focused on what we're supposed to be doing that we miss nuance because we are working in a community together. None of us are, we shouldn't be in silos, although that happens, we shouldn't be. Uh, We have, you know, part of working in human services is the obligation we have to one another. It's not just to our clients or to our students, that it's the obligation we have to the community at large, to human services, the Royal Human (laughs) Services to, Really, like, we have a responsibility to one another to support one another and help one another, you know, but it's, I'm not going to sit here and 
and tell people how they should do their jobs, I guess. Right. I There's no right or wrong. Like that didn't come out right. Yeah. I think that that's a good question. I guess I just, I'm stumbling over it because I don't really know. No, how I think you've answered it perfectly. I think absolutely can. I, I definitely give you a, a, a thinker, like, but that's the no, point. That's it's like fantastic. <laughs> You're, you're going to give an answer that is reflective of, of your experiences. And I think it's great. I would agree with you, but we're just two people. And it yeah. is at the end of the day going to come up to, um, yes, I believe that, that we have a responsibility towards each other. That's kind of why we're all in this together. I was going to say in this mess together, but we're going to in this mess together. But yeah. um, like it's, it's, I think for the generations to come, especially um, who have seen just the diabolicalness of our society, at least here in the United States, just get very, very hostile, um, knowing where that line is between um, my responsibility to my priorities in my work and my responsibility to those that I work with um, mm -hmm. on a professional level gets a little blurred because yes, um, we have established like there are plenty of things to quote unquote call people out on to speak up about in a room, no matter what the setting is, because there's uh, a level of, you know, appropriateness, but it's like reaching those people behind those misfires. Well, that's where it gets prickly for everyone. Um, and I, I just want to throw a disclaimer, like we are not here to say that there's a right or wrong way to do that. Well, or see, if you that's have to what, at all. Well, see, that's what, yeah, that's what I was going to say, because the thing about human services is that early when we were talking about if you can't, sometimes you're not going to be able to help people you want to help because they're, you know, that person over there is the one to help them or that person over there is the one to help them. So as many clients, different kinds of people are as many different kinds of people are clients of human services so are different kinds of people who are in the field of human services. And I think there's no one way to help people, A, but B, it's also not enough to just want to help people. So there has to be this sort of creative balance that we have to be open to find. I'm not going to be the right professor for a lot of people. You know, when that, when that happens, when I have a student that's just, it's not a good fit, I still have a responsibility to that person because they've been assigned to me, right? I, they're in my class. I have a responsibility to that person. I still have to teach that person. Have I had students that I don't like? Yes. Have I had students that don't like me? Absolutely. Does that change the nature of our relationship? Not really. I still have a job to do. So I think of teaching, especially the kind of stuff that I teach, which is really complex stuff. You know, I, I, I have to also, it's about being professional, but it's about also just being a kind person and being like, I still have a responsibility to teach this student. They might not like me. I might not like them, <laughs> but I have a responsibility to them. And I think when it comes to human services, when we're talking about clients, whether you work for CASA and you're working with kids, whether you're working with vets, whether you're working with addicts, like whatever you're doing that's in the helping services, you still have a responsibility to that person. You know, ideally you can pass them along <laughs> depending on the workload of the, of the organization, but it's not always going to be a good fit. That doesn't change 
that doesn't, it can change the strategy and how we do something, but it doesn't, at the end of the day, doesn't change what we do. And I think that it's just to keep, sometimes that that's kind of a relaxing thought, right? Just be like, well, it's not a good fit, but I'm still going to do my job and I'm still going to be of service to this person. What they take from it is what they take from it, but I still have to be, I have to keep my side of the street clean. Is the yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely, I think that's a lesson in our ethos that we need to make sure we don't forget um, because it can be, a reflection of how we run as larger communities, as democracies, whatever you want to call it. Um, because that's a lesson that anybody, whether they're in a human service professional role or if they're not, you know, they're a banker or they're a teacher or whatever they possibly could call their profession could carry that mentality because we have very much veered away from or more towards the different ideas opposed from mine, officially you are in the opponent zone, right? And it's like, yeah. well, well, that's a very, okay, that's one strategy. Yeah. But um, if you just take a step back a second and you do a little bit of self-reflection, re reconsider the way you perceive other people mm -hmm. in the sense that you, you know, and this is a big one for, this is a, <laughs> this would be huge for a lot of people outside of our, our, our industry, but maybe you can say that there's some sort of responsibility we have for each other. Um, and you might not be able to see it. It might not be right there and apparent in front of you. Uh, but we all do gain something from taking on and accepting that responsibility for each other, regardless of if we agree with the way other people perceive reality. Right now that's yeah. a big, that's a big wishful thinking kind of thought. Um, as far as everyone in the world or everyone in, in the States or whatever it might be having that mindset, that's a goal, <laughs> isn't it there yet? But in our mm -hmm. field, if any sort of professional out there, um, providing a service to a client, yeah, that that's going to be, that's going to happen regardless all the time. Like I would be surprised if there's anyone out there who's ever been in this industry and, and, and helped someone that they just they loved everyone they ever helped. It was just easy for them that they got along, that they they meshed, that they vibed. That gets more important and more critical to pay attention to when we do find ourselves in these situations, professionally or personally, when we don't agree with that person. We have no idea how in the hell they get from A to B. And that becomes so nuanced when the person who needs help is a agreeing to receive it and you are the person who has been assigned or happened to be the one delivering it and then you have this dance right both people are in the same space the environment to exchange that you know that that connection and have that interface with each other but for me on a personal note like after covid happened there was a moment where i was very much questioning wanting to do anything in the human services because the world was just so loud and there was so much noise i thought like what significance am I going to have? Like people are just going to stay, you know, bumping heads. Like there's no room for people to, to reconsider. Um, for anyone that's still in that kind of mindset, like what's the use? What's the point? If I can't save the world, <laughs> if I can't save the world, why try? Um, what would you say to a, to a student who found themselves in that kind of that, that whole of thought? 
I would tell them to read Faces at the Bottom of the Well by Dr. Derek Bell. <laughs> who, Say it one more time. Uh, Faces at the Bottom of the Well. So his basic, his argument, I mean, it's not even in that book, but it's a good book to read. But he, he kind of basically says, racism is never going to go away. It's not going to go away. But don't let that be daunting to you, right? Because it is worth the good fight. And, and we can make these small steps, which is to create relationships, like real relationships with people different from ourselves, whether that's gender, race, sexuality, religion, whatever, in order to produce an equitable society or to try and live in an equitable society. We, we live in a system that supports discrimination and encourages it and thrives off of it. So in order to navigate that, you have to be willing to fight it because you're in it, you're here, you know, you're not going to change. You're not going to like all of a sudden, you know, decide, well, maybe you will, but a lot of people aren't going to, who kind of come into this work, aren't suddenly going to be like, well, it's just easier to be racist because we live in a racist society. So I'm just going to go do that. <laughs> no one's going to do that. Hopefully. So you have to figure out what to do when you realize, okay, racism's not going to go away. My close family and close friends who are people of color are going to suffer in ways that I can't ever understand and begin to understand. So what can my job be then? You know, I have a, I have a group that I, small group, but uh, uh, with a couple of colleagues of mine, where we talk about dismantling white privilege every other week. We just we do readings and we just get together. It's not part of a university. It's not part of an organization. It's just a couple of people who just want to have these conversations. And so if anyone's interested, you can just get in touch with me because it's pretty interesting. But that's, so that's my job, right? That's what I can do. I'm not going to change anything, probably. I probably won't change anyone's mind who's not already like en route to, you know, just need some more information, need some intellectual ammunition. Like I can give that to people, but what they do with it is, it's, it's not that it's not my problem. It's just that all I can do is put it out there in the world and, and keep my side of the street side of the street clean. No, I have give you a million it. examples you have to have that willing to that willingness to explore, um, to be, oh, and now this is a term that I think is beat like a dead horse. You got to be open-minded. <laughs> you know, I found that the point, the easiest access point of self-awareness is often when you find yourself butting heads with the way, oh, oh, something in reality that doesn't pertain or match up with, with yours. And that sure. is when you, have the option without really, without it being called, here's your moment of self-awareness to explore with curiosity, to refine your knowledge, your personal knowledge, your spiritual knowledge, your, your emotion, all, any type of knowledge that might apply to the scenario. Because if you continue to run into that wall um, between what you think is reality and what the reality actually might be for you, for the world or someone else, and that can often just be like a moment of like, aha, uh -huh, like, oh my goodness, I'm in third person. Why am I observing my own world? This is crazy, you know? <laughs> and that's, for me personally, it's been great, but it might not work for everybody. But still, like, 
Um, you said something earlier that I, and I love. It's it's a learning experience, and it's not just our professional careers. It's our whole life. It's, it's a learning experience. Like we've been learning since the day we came out. We'll be learning since the day we go out, right? So yeah, and I think it's also we're all programmed. We are 100% programmed, and so once you realize that that your feelings are your feelings, but they're also products of your social environment. And you have to, you know, we're all programmed. It doesn't matter, you know, what class we come from or whatever, everybody's programmed. And we have to unlearn a lot of stuff, right? And when we realize, you know, how programmed we are in this like full on capitalist society that doesn't allow for community engagement, doesn't allow for, doesn't allow for us to share ideas and share resources in order to have a better society. We have to start to unlearn things. So I would say we, Yes, we come into the world, you know, however we come into the world, we are going to be programmed. And so I've said, had this conversation is back to your original question about what do I say to students? What do I say to somebody who's just, there's nothing I can do. Why bother? You know, I, I just say, well, start deprogramming yourself. It's a good place to start because when you start to realize how, what, what, complete trained monkeys we are in how we see the world. It's a really good starting place to, to unthink and unlearn, which I think is the, the, the space where we grow. Right. And I still have, I still do this, right. I mean, I'm a victim of the 1970s. <laughs> so that's when I grew up. There's all kinds of horrible things that we learned to think about ourselves and other people. It doesn't matter that I grew up in a multiracial family and grew up in Berkeley and that had, you know, queer people in my life as a kid. I still like, I might've had gays and lesbians and trans people, or they weren't called trans in the seventies and eighties, people in my life that were part of my family. But that doesn't mean I didn't think untoward things about them because I was trained to. And you really have to, you have to be willing to have that, like come to Jesus, talk with yourself because it's really embarrassing and humiliating to know that your automatic thought pattern is so grisly and disgusting about people that you have relationships with. But that's the reality because that's the world we live in, right? My kid is non-binary. And when they came out to me as non-binary, I was at first like, all right, cool. Like it didn't even occur to me that it was an issue. I just thought, yeah, that makes sense. Cause I know my kid, I still refer to my child as him. And, and then they'll call me out on it and I'm like, okay, okay. I gotta get better. I gotta get better. But it's, it's my automatic behavior. It doesn't excuse it. I can't just be like, well, I can't help it. I'm trained this way. That's where the choice comes in, right? That's like, okay, you recognize that you're trained, you're programmed to refer to your child who was born with a penis as a boy. I could just stay in that frame of mind. 
I can just be like, whatever, I can't help it. Or I can go, I can't help it. It's automatic behavior. I have to do the work to make that different, to change it so that I can be a better person for my child. Because what kind of message am I sending to my kid that I don't even have the respect for them to at least try? And I'm going to continue to make mistakes. And they know that. But I think it's it's in that weird kind of space where you start to realize you're programmed no matter what kind of people you grew up with, right? And I did, I grew up in a multiracial household, but it doesn't matter, right? Because I have this automatic behavior. It's part of who I am, it's part of my community, it's part of where I grew up. My job then, in order to stay sane and feel like I'm doing anything worthwhile and having meaning at my job, is to stay awake right? And to be aware and to keep trying and to be not to like get down on myself if I call Devin a boy or a man because they're 27. (laughs) I'm not going to like, I'm not going to get down on myself. I'm not going to get depressed about it. I'm probably not even going to apologize to them anymore because they just roll their eyes at me at this point. But the job is that I have to catch myself doing it. Right. And this includes like how I automatically think about anybody even people that are like me, that's really like that space where we are programmed. It is what it is. It's neither okay or not okay. It just is. There's no point in having an opinion about it at all. And to just kind of feel that out and then make a decision about, okay, you you have arrived at the realization party. Now, what are you going to do? Right? Are you just going to look at the cake? Are you going to eat it? You should eat it because <laughs> it's cake. <laughs> and and really work toward digesting that programming, understanding it, and making shifts, even if it's just like moving the needle a little bit. That's that's the work that I think is really important. This um, we call it a whiteness coffee clatch. <laughs> My friend and I. This was the question that uh, we had last week where we were like, well, everybody keeps talking about doing the work. What's the work? What, what is this exactly? Everybody talks about it. And you're laughing. So I know you know what I'm talking about. Like, right? Like, oh, we have to do the work to blank. We have to do the work to do this. I'm like, well, what the hell is the work? What is this work? This is like elusive work that everybody's talking about. Well, I think it's in that space, being in that shitty, uncomfortable, ugly, completely humiliating, embarrassing space where you're sweating, you don't have to say, and you want to lump in your throat, you just want to leave the room and just like stay your ass there and ponder and consider alternatives to how you were programmed. And that's that's the response I give students. I I have this conversation almost every other month with students actually, because I have to give them the it's we have to do more than be like, well, it's okay. You know, just keep trying. It's like, mm, give them the truth, man. You know, it hurts. It's embarrassing and you'll be humiliated and you'll hate it. But you will open. You will open. Right. There's though, I'm so glad that you mentioned the, the the don't make an opinion of this the doing the work part in that space because um that holds so many people up and it held me up. It's held people up. It just does. People want to measure 
the degree of themselves and their worthiness against their ability to have already known something when mm-hmm. they would ne- when they previously never had the chance to confront knowing that having the choice to yeah. be taught whatever they were programmed to know um and i think it's so 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 important that we like ensure like yes the reality is it's going to be very uncomfortable you're going to have a lot of embarrassing moments and you're really not going to like this part guarantee you it's not going to be walk in the park but guess what if you don't, you are asking for it to be worse, whatever it may be, right. your connections with people, the, yeah. the the passions that you think you have, all gone. It's, mm-hmm. You don't want to get in your own way. And for a long time, that message was delivered like you have to do the work. And it is this and it is that. that and work. you have to do the consequences, <laughs> right? But it's what like, is the work? <laughs> see for a moment, though, what is waiting for you at the other side of that space once you pass through it because it might not be comfortable but it sure as hell is worth it because that better person you want to be that either you were programmed to imagine or you somehow know in your heart you just genuinely want to become Hmm. doesn't come without it being difficult it's just it's something that mirrors in our personal lives Mm -hmm. and it's shocking to see that there's this disconnect between like it's we're already all doing it you can't avoid it so making the conscious effort to jump in it's the same as getting up every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to not suck though. And if we don't acknowledge that we're going to have plenty of people who are still going to, to refuse to do it because they're scared and rightfully so still do it anyways. <laughs> I think it's also, we, we live in a, we live in a society that is on speed, right? Like America is just like, on speed, <laughs> but not even just the, it's not even the United States, right? It's everywhere. People, except maybe Spain, but like people just want to like hurry up and get it done. Like, why isn't anything changing? I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I I work with a woman who is just so hell bent on, on she, she really like her heart's in the right place. She really wants to overcome whiteness and, and everything. And it kind of talks about like white fragility and, and doing the, you know, doing the work about how to like be, you know, be confront- confrontational. It's like, that doesn't always work. And then where we fundamentally disagree is that she's like, you have to, people of color are going to tell you how to um, do the work. And I'm, I'm like, I fundamentally disagree with that. I think that's naive and I think it's wrong. And somebody might, people might disagree with me and that's cool. But for me, so two points I want to make. One, this stuff takes a lifetime. It takes a really, really long time. And so for people who want to hurry up and get it, and I think this is how she's arrived at this. It's like she's not seeing any changes and she really wants to things to change. It, it's just not going it, to, not, it's not possible for things to just change. It's just not possible. And, and it's nobody's, it's not the job of people of color to teach white people how to not be racist. (laughs) And, and I think that that's, it's a, it's a, it's a mistake that other people have made and learned from. And it's, so part of the work might be to like review other people's mistakes (laughs) and that being one of them, like, but I think this stuff just takes time. Like uh, academia, they like their ideas and they like to make their ideas come true without a whole lot of reflection <laughs> and then move on to the next big idea. And 
to me, like this kind of these kinds of conversations about how do we help people? How do we help people different from ourselves? How do we help people different from ourselves? And how do we avoid thinking that we have all the answers for them? Part of that is reflection. Part of that is understanding how you're programmed and that that feeds into every single thing that you do. And part of it is like, just slow down. Slow down. However you need to do, whatever you need to do to slow down, slow down. Because we have to, these are big issues that we deal with in human services, right? Poverty, violence, homelessness, drug abuse or drug use. I mean, people making bad choices or people making choices that are where they're just like, you're just making the boulder in your path bigger for every choice that you make. These kinds of things. Um, we, we sometimes just have to like step back and figure out again, like how to read the room. You know, the two things in human services that I, I like are not massive and I wish they were is harm reduction and wraparound. And both of those premises, both of those approaches to helping other people mean that it's going to take a really long time. That, and this is a personal take, that part, that's where our line is. It's not a responsibility to decide that somebody's, you know, already decided that they're going to have an opinion on a potential uh, uh, way of service or a potential way that someone could heal mm -hmm. and become a better person. Like, no, if you're going to blow a gasket about this, fine. But the conversation's still going to happen. And it's going to happen. Yeah. And there's plenty of space when, for anybody, even if you want to come down and sit down and, and, and share. But it's like the, you are the only person who gets to choose to sit down and be part of the conversation. You, that's right. it. That's not individualism that's not capitalism that is will that is the will of the human existence to sit down and decide to interact with the rest of reality we didn't even talk about anarchy oh my god you're coming back you're done with me <laughs> we're doing this again all right we'll check y'all later we are grateful for you tuning in to this episode of roundtable discussions podcast you can find previous talks on our youtube page just search nohs organization and click subscribe all of our social media handles can be found in the description box below. And of course, there is a ton more to learn and do on our website, nationalhumanservices.org.